Hi, Miriam. Uh, welcome to the MR Running Pains podcast. I want to thank you for being here. How are you doing today? All right, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for asking me to be here. I've been really excited about this. Uh, I'm excited to have you on. Um, as uh, as I probably talked about in my intro, Miriam's a good friend and uh, a longtime physical therapist for myself and uh, my wife and my son and <laughs> most of my friends, some of the athletes I coach. <laughs> so um, we've had a long history together and I trust her. Um, with my my legs, my back, my <laughs> my body. <laughs> so thank you. Um, so uh, in these crazy times, uh, you're sitting there in your office. So um, we have to assume that you are open for business. I am. I am. I'm open for business. Um, I've changed my schedule a little bit. So I'm only in the office maybe four to five hours a day. Um, I've been treating in a mask since it started. Um, I guess fortunately and unfortunately, my dad had some um, immune issues, so I had some masks at the house. Um, so it was just it wasn't that hard to to do, and you know, got all the cleaning agents. And so very low traffic, seeing one on one, sanitizing between clients, you know, those kinds of things. So really taking all the precautions um, that are recommended, and um, and then started doing some telehealth, also offering some telehealth sessions uh, to clients, um, and that's been actually doing great. Um, I had done it on a very, very small level with some clients I had from out of state prior. Um, and then recently it's been nice because I think I think it's um, it's triggered a lot of patients that are sitting at home just having some questions and but not enough to come in, you know, but more wondering about, you know, this or that about either running form or something they read about running or something about their program. Um, and so it's, it's been really nice because it's been a really easy and, and comfortable way to have a conversation with them. Um, while they're at home and it's, it's been fun. And I really actually didn't expect that. Um, I was kind of, I was a little bit uncomfortable with in the beginning, but it was, it's really been great. Yeah. Is that through the phone or do you do video conferencing? I do video conferencing. Yeah. I use a program called DoxyMe. It's um, with healthcare providers. It's HIPAA compliant. Um, and so, and the wonderful thing too, is when all this started, um, there were so many different, um, educational courses and webinars about how to do this appropriately and, and make it easy. So it was, it, I feel like a lot of groups were very generous in giving that information to healthcare providers about how to, how to do this, um, and, and do it quickly. Um, yeah, so it's through DoxyMe. They make the appointment online. It's one of my appointment types, so they can just choose it. Um, I send them a link through the email and they just log on. Um, and I just actually posted today uh, about how to do that. And I had a, um, one of my favorite clients or experiences with that is I had a client here, um, but he's been living in Spain. Actually, I didn't realize that for the last year. I hadn't seen him for a while and he booked a telehealth appointment. And so it was just so surreal to, to talk him through some of his rehab, but also, you know, get his experience about how he's doing in Spain and how Spain was doing. And, um, and it was really, it was really uh, amazing. It was pretty, it was really uplifting to talk to him and, you know, that's kind really of reach cool. out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all. I imagine you can also send some of the, uh, the, the exercises that you might have them do through email and, and such that they can, you know, print out the pictures and the, uh, 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 the description of what to do. Yeah. I sent them all the, I sent them all the handouts of what we discussed after the session. So they have that. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Um, yeah. Let's uh, let's jump back a second and uh, unless you kind of introduce yourself a little bit, um, you know, what, what's uh, what's your background? How'd you get into uh, physical therapy? Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll continue from there. Uh, yeah. So um, 
I graduated from PT school in 98, 99, something like that. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny that um, I've been treating a long time when you were talking about treating your family, knowing you for a long time, you know, it's been about 20 years um, that I've been, I've been treating. And when I went to PT school, it was kind of interesting because I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do within physical therapy. I had initially thought I, I want to go to medical school. I've taken the MCATs and I just had this huge, change of heart, like prior to applying to med schools. And so I, I decided to defer my scores for a little bit and, and do some soul seeking. And um, PT sounded like a, a nice avenue to kind of start with. And so in school um, and physical therapy, is, it's, it's really neat. It's, a lot, it's like a lot of other healthcare professions where you can delve into so many different realms, pediatrics and geriatrics and neuro. And, um, there's animal physical therapy. There's there's so many different you know, genres of, of therapy. And so um, I kind of watch as my classmates say they, they all came into therapy school, PT school with, I think, something in mind. And I, I didn't really know. And I, I love learning about everything, but nothing really caught on as, as far as an interest for me um, until I started taking my biomechanics course. Um, and I really love that. Um, I had a great professor with that. I had another professor, his name was Walt Jenkins. Um, and he taught me, I took a special topics course on foot and ankle mechanics um, and how to glue and grind orthotics and, and, and do all these kind of different things. And I just fell in love with it. I just, I just couldn't get enough of it. And so that's where I kind of found my my niche, um, and I got um, the opportunities to observe these different, or enter in these different gate labs. I went to the Mayo Clinic um, in Minnesota and to the gate lab there, and I had some really wonderful experiences at UVA with Jay DeSherry and Eric Magrum, and they had just an amazing setup there. And um, so when I came out of PT school, uh, I had a kind of a unique situation. I just started a job in uh, a sports medicine clinic and if anyone knows uh, Southeastern Rehabilitation, it's a huge, you know, it's a huge physical therapy clinic now. But when I started again, this is 20 years ago, um, and I came on and and my employer there it was just he and I were the only trained therapists. And he was he was really great because um, I came in and I was like, you know, these are things that I do and I think I can offer clients. And so I immediately had like a little orthotics lab and I could glue and grind orthotics and look at shoes and. Um, I started the the gay analysis lab because what I observed, you know, during school and in these different clinics, I thought was really important surface uh, service for runners. Um, and I had never seen anything like that before. But I knew if I spent enough time with somebody, and working at my fastest, still two hours was kind of the the cap for that. But if I did a good clinical exam, a table exam, a video analysis same day treatment, um, whatever gait retraining and some some different strategies, people really seemed to improve a lot quicker. And it also met a lot of runners needs where, you know, look, I've, I've, I've got this going on and I have to get back to this immediately. You know, I don't want to stop running and I have this event coming up and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very normal response, I think, for most athletes. And so, um, you know, Darren, just let me do it. He's like, just that's great. You know, so I started the private runners clinic. Um, I didn't know what a, a cash-based clinic was at that time, but I knew insurance would never pay for a two-hour session. It just wasn't an option. So I got to start the two-hour um, uh, cash-based runner's program there. It was called Ground Reactions at the time. Um, and I also got to do a lot with foot and ankle rehabilitation. So, um, and that's kind of how I, how I started with that. So it was really, it was really neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's touch on each of those uh, points a little bit later. Um, but you're also a runner. Um, yes. <laughs> you're running. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny. I was, I was, um, 
actually before the start, I was talking to a friend. It's funny how you have an idea of what you are, I think, as an athlete from when you were younger. So growing up, especially in high school, I was really into basketball. Like that's that's what I did. I played basketball. I really like being an athlete. Um, we played a bunch of different sports, but basketball was my favorite. Um, and then I mean, really what was drilled into us is if you're going to be better for your sport, you run, you lift, you play. I mean, that's that was just what you did and, and, and how you developed yourself. And um, and I was not a great athlete. Let's let it was not it was not like I was the best player on the team or anything like that. I was decent. It was fun. Um, but I realized every morning I woke up, I ran. We had practice late after school. I loved going to the gym and lifting. And that was always part of my uh, mostly my daily routine. Um, so I carried that with me through high school and college. The same thing. Like to do a little bit of running, go to the gym, um, you know, play some basketball with friends and things like that. Um, and so really it wasn't until I moved to actual, I didn't, I never participated in a race. I actually never even saw a race. Like growing up, I don't know if they had races in Mississippi at the time. I don't remember that at all. Um, it was, I don't remember anyone running. I don't remember seeing anybody. Um, I had, uh, you know, some family members that would do it, but, uh, but yeah, it was just a whole different ball game. And I don't know if that was something nationally or just Mississippi was a little bit different than that. Did you, did you grow up with there were a lot of races and things like that? Like when you were growing up? We did, yeah. Where I grew up, it was, yeah, it was it was a big deal. We had uh, yeah, some really big names that came through our area. So it was like a, you know, kind of a historical area for running. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and then when I moved here, you know, it was, you know, it's like my most fun place to go running. And actually the trails were a lot more accessible here. Um, so the Bounds of Sea Trail picks up behind our, our neighborhood. Uh, and that was the first time I ever had gone trail running ever. Uh, and I just loved it. I did. It was just, it was so refreshing and um, I really enjoyed it. And I honestly couldn't tell you, I mean, I ran by myself um, for most of the, most of those years. Um, and I probably didn't run a race. I probably didn't run a race until maybe a race to the taps when they first started. Maybe I'm trying to think, I never really thought about it. Um, so yeah. So it probably was fairly recently I started to run in a race. And then I just picked up a couple of events since then, did some 30Ks, uh, did two 50Ks. Um, I was going to do a, a third for Fauna Flora, um, and then that got canceled. So um, hopefully when all this passes over, I can pick that back up again. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hope, right? <laughs> so um, kind of diving more into the, the physical therapy world, um, what is your role as a physical therapist? How would you define that? In general, the role of a physical therapist, I think if we're going to put it into technical terms, is, is uh, dealing with a neuromusculoskeletal system. So dealing with nerves, muscles, tendons, bones, fascia. Okay. Um, and so that's a, it's a really large spectrum. Uh, so, and there's so many different techniques that people can apply and use, but, but really most clients come in when there's either pain in those realms, uh, limitation as far as mobility, something limiting their, their activities of daily life is what we call it. Um, so usually those are the, the things that bring people in, either a mobility issue, a pain issue, something limiting them with their, their goals that they need to meet daily. Um, so that's, that's kind of the broad spectrum of, of what a physical therapist does. And it can, it can take me, again, there's so many different realms. Like we talked about like geriatrics, pediatrics, um, animal physical therapy, um, neuro. Um, so it's, it's really neat. Um, but I think when, when most people think about going to physical therapists, that's, those are the issues that come up. 
you know, they're having knee pain. It's hard to go up and down the stairs. Um, they threw their back out, lifting some wood. Um, you know, for runners particularly, what I see, uh, if, if, if that's a question that you're asking more, especially with the running population, um, obviously pain injury is one of the reasons um, I see a lot of adults. Um, sometimes I see people when they're not, um, despite their training, they're not improving their performance. They feel like something is holding them back and they can't really put their finger on it. Um, um, and they can't really put their finger on it. So they come in uh, to look at, see if there's anything physically uh, limiting them with that. And a lot of times you can kind of figure that out or if I need to route them to another healthcare provider um, for more systemic issues, uh, we look at that. Um, so I just need to charge that. Um, and so that's why I see mainly in, in the adult population. Once in a while, I, I mean, I, I, and it's kind of funny because I did develop the program to be more of a preventative, you know. So if, and I, but I would say that's probably the fewer of the cases I get. But I do get people that come in, they haven't been running for a while, or they, you know, they've had a, a hiatus and they're running, they want to get back to it, and they, they don't want to become injured and they're being proactive. And I, I love seeing people like that, or novice runners, they have never run before. They want to do their first 5K, um, and those are really neat cases to work with. But they just want to make sure they they want to have a, a full look at their system to see if anything is is interfering with their ability to, to start this training or puts them more at risk to be injured. Um, so that's another kind of category in the adult population that I see. Um, I differentiate that a little bit the adult population and and younger runners. So, you know, so middle school, high school runners, um, collegiate runners. Um, their issues are, are similar, but a lot of times they've, uh, we're looking more at like bone stress injuries and things like that with the younger runners. Um, times or coaches feel like there's something off with their running, but they can't really figure out what it is. Um, so kind of sifting through that. So I definitely get that population also, which is really fun to, fun to work with. Cool. Thank you. Um, talk about referring on um, to other uh, medical professionals, where does a physical therapist fall on the medical professional spectrum? Yeah, and that's a great question. And it really actually differs state by state. Um, so it can be a little bit confusing. So I don't really I, I don't really know every state's laws with physical therapy. And in, in this state in North Carolina, we have direct access. Um, I know it's a question that people have a lot. Um, do I need referral for physical therapy? And in, in this state, you don't. Um, you can go to your physical therapist um, and have direct access for treatment. Uh, you know, on the spectrum, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, I think it depends because sometimes I see people, I'm the first person they'll come to for anything. And I have, and I, you know, we have a good discussion. And, and if it's not, if they need imaging, they need to have blood work done, you know, like, you know, that's a physician, you know, if it's something systemic that we really want to rule out, I refer them to the, you know, to a physician, um, their physician, or if they need a referral for something more specific, um, I help route them to that, that person. Um, so that's, that's kind of how it usually works. Or a physician will see a person uh, and they feel like uh, physical therapy surface, uh, services would be behoove them. You know, they have knee pain specific to running. They're doing something during the running that is aggravating their knee pain. Um, then they usually refer them for a biomechanical analysis. So it kind of it works both ways. And we have some great physicians here that are um, locally that are, are just wonderful to work with. They're very easy and open to, to get patients to. Um, so how did you get into this, uh, you know, part of, uh, physical therapy and what you're doing, uh, the gait analysis, um, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about it earlier where you, you got into the, uh, 
the office with, uh, with Daryl, uh, Darren, <laughs> um, and, uh, and started coming out with, uh, your perception of how to do this. Um, but like, talk a little bit about, um, what is the, the analysis? What do you, what do you do? Um, you know, when you, when somebody comes to see you, what is the analysis? Um, you know, what do you do on the table? Uh, you know, flexibility, mobility, what are we actually doing? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like I was really lucky because, uh, when, again, when I first got out of school, UVA was starting to do um, a series of educational courses called the um, uh, UVA Running Medicine Symposium. They would have that annually as Eric Magrum, Jay DeSherry, um, and they'd been allowing me to observe in their in their running lab for, for quite a while. So a lot of what I, I, I did as far as creating my lab was to mimic as much as I could what they were what they were doing up there. Um, just brilliant people, you know, really amazing, and they were getting great results. and And their lab was actually designed. It was obviously it was it was a, a multi million dollar lab. It was instrumented treadmill and ten camera bike on system, and it was meant for actually also doing research. You know, so um, I was excited not only that I was working around or learning from really amazing clinicians. I mean, I can't say enough about them, and they still to this day have that running symposium. If there's any healthcare professionals that uh, are listening, um, but they were also doing the research to prove are are what we're seeing in the clinic and what we're treating is is it really working? You know, is it really valid? You know, so coming away from that, the way that I set it up and the way that I still do it today. Um, for the first hour, so I have a client come in, and I, I say this to every client, you know, because I explain to them the, the process, and it's like, you know, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna take a very, we're gonna take a very accurate history. You're gonna sit there and just tell me everything, and I do. I, I want to listen from the time that they are um, remember being athletes as, as kids or anything else that was important during that time to the present day, um, and that looks at their history, their daily life, their work. You know, so a pretty a pretty all encompassing health history. It's very important um, in kind of getting all that down. And I tell them, you know, we're going to break up the first half of the session. Um, we're going to do a, a, a clinical exam, so a table exam. So we look at their strength, their flexibility, their functional movement, um, a little bit of a core assessment. So this is called a table exam. And I kind of put them through a, a different um, uh, kind of a complete barrage of, of clinical tests uh, to see what our, our treatment diagnosis may be. You know, and some of the deficits they may be having within their system. I tell them that's that's internally what we're working with. Those are the internal forces. Okay, and then we're going to go out and, and run on the treadmill. And the, and this isn't a fatigue sample. You know, I let them warm up a little bit and and then take a couple minutes of video with a slow motion capture device. And I'll load it onto the laptop. And I said we're going to review your running form, you know, frame by frame, and look at the most meaningful moments in the gait cycle. You have the most forces pushed through your system. And those are the external movements that we're going to look at. So we're going to look at the internal movements, um, which are the, the table exam, the things we find in the table exam, and the external forces from the video. And they go through it with me, okay, so they can see exactly what we're talking about. So about halfway through the session, it's about an hour in, we have a, a really strong hypothesis about the leading causes of what's feeding into their symptoms and or you know, limitations, whether that's performance or you know, repeated injury. And then we go into treatment, home program, and, and what's called gate retraining. Um, and there's been some really exciting research. I mean, there's always really exciting research in running medicine, I think. But some really exciting research um, that came out primarily with Richard Willey and Irene Davis, where, you know, for a long time, we we're functioning on a basis. If we strengthen people enough, they'll sift out their, their injuries um, or their running will sift out and they won't injure themselves anymore. And 
there was a it was a slightly invalid thought process because what they found is they would take runners and they would do these really great um, video analysis on the instrument treadmill and have all this data and they would do really good strengthening with these people you know so they would do they make their glutes stronger and their glute max glute need hamstrings core you know so they would test them they knew they were getting them stronger and they put them back on the treadmill and their running movements were the exact same and they also correlated them with loading rates okay so a lot of loading rates have been correlated with injuries you know so they they're running and and properly loading just the same and they're actually having the same pain so they found that strengthening alone just wasn't enough it, as a, as much of a stimulus as doing what we call gait retraining and that's giving somebody a really strong cue to make one general change to their running movement to decrease the loading forces on whatever part of the gait cycle we, we deem appropriate after the video analysis. Um, so gait retraining sometimes is appropriate and sometimes it's not because what we'll find, and I tell people that, I'm like, I have no idea actually what we'll find until we're about an hour into this. Um, some people, they just have a, a few strength deficits and their running form is super efficient. Okay, so there's nothing external going on that we really need to fool with. It's more of an internal issue. Um, some people, some people internally, they're super sound. Running form is is the issue, and sometimes it's just one or two factors from both. Um, so we kind of we put together those, and for everyone, it's very individual. Um, and so, and that's I think what makes it so much fun is probably an interesting word, but more rewarding to work with everybody because everyone is so different, um, and they just bring a, a different set of you know factors to the table. And once we sit them out, they usually do really well. So. Yeah. Does that answer? Yeah. Yeah. Also answered my, my next question <laughs> about what causes most running injuries. Um, but if you want to touch on anything else that you might think of, um, but it sounds like you know, we touched a, a lot on it in that last question, but is there anything else you'd add to that? Yeah. Um, what causes most running injuries? Yeah, it is. It's very different. The combination of things is very different individually overall. Um, I probably, this, I probably mentioned this too. So when I started doing video analysis and this was in 2000, 2001. So this was, when was born to run? That was published in 2009. Is that, is that right? Around, yeah, around that time. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I did video analysis with people where I'd have them get on the treadmill, um, walk in shoes, walk barefoot, run barefoot, run with shoes. And I was doing a lot of video of their, their lower extremity kinematics um, or their joint angles because for, at that time, I was also fabricating a lot of orthotics. Um, and I also was looking at, at shoes. And so I wanted to see what people's feet were doing outside, in, outside of their shoes, you know, because so, I couldn't see through their shoes. I just wanted to see what their feet were doing and then look at them in shoes. Um, and I did this for years. And, it was, it was very common. I would see completely different kinematics when I would have somebody barefoot and somebody in shoes. Now at the time that seems, you know, I, I, you know, there's been so much research now, but I had, you know, all this video. And when I see clients say they sign off, if I can you know, share their video, you know, of different parts for education courses and things like that. Um, so, you know, we had um, uh, born to run in 2009 and the whole barefoot movement and, and minimalist movement kind of started there and then all the research kind of followed with that with Daniel Lieberman and um, we kind of found there were a lot of different aspects from people which makes sense of course when you run without shoes and you run with shoes um, 
and I had all this video so I could show people when I would teach classes. I used to teach uh, a class uh, on biomechanics um, through a seminar company. So I teach all over the country, a two day course on biomechanics for health professionals. And I had all this great video to show them um, when we we're looking at this research. I'm like, so here you see what someone does when their shoes are off and when their shoes are on. Um, and it was really it was great because I didn't know what exactly what I was filming at the time. I just had it um, and neither did the client. Um, so it was really it was really interesting seeing some of those things. But one of the products, I think, of our you know society in general, it's no one's fault. Um, you know, we're in shoes. We're usually on man-made surfaces. But we do have a lot of um, overstriding in our country in general. Um, and we also have a little bit um, sometimes uh, uh, interference with efficient cadence. Um, and I think these things have gotten a lot of um, a lot of press. Um, and I think you would, I think you would ask me and, and I had a client recently that was asking me, you know, there's so much stuff out there on YouTube and the Internet about what to do, about all this stuff. But I would say that, you know, a lot of times what we're looking at are issues with with cadence and overstriding. Um, and if you ever want to look you know, scientifically at what the, the heart of that really is, um, Brian Heiderscheidt did the landmark uh, study a couple of years ago looking at cadence and what happens when you start um bringing someone's cadence towards what we call this this more efficient kind of point of 180 steps per minute. Um, if you look at a bell curve, we kind of put that 180 kind of at the top of the bell curve. So if someone's lower on that bell curve, if someone's 150, 160 steps per minute, what, what kind of changes do you see in people, in most people, when you start bringing them towards that 100, 180 mark? It doesn't mean that everyone needs to be at 180 at all. But we found that people tend to gear more towards a more efficient strike pattern. And it has nothing to do with the foot. I think there's a lot of research or a lot of um, buzz about, you know, you should be a forefoot striker, you should be a rear foot striker. Um, what we're talking about is actually making the foot land closer to the center of mass. So we have a, a higher, the knee is at a more flexed angle and the foot is um, making contact initially closer to the body. Okay, that's the most important thing. And so I'd say overall, that's a really that's a really good cue. If somebody feels like they're they're having impact issues, that's the first thing to kind of look at. You know, what is their general cadence? Um, and you know, are they overstriding? And do they tend to land with a really straight knee and with a foot away from their body? Um, so those are the those are the two biggest reasons I think in running form that you'll see um, for the general population. Um, and you can say it's like kind of a general statement. You know, you, there's there's nothing that's going to be less efficient if you start bringing the foot underneath the body more, if you're landing, if you're overstriding. So, um, do you mind going down the shoe and insole rabbit hole for a second? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. You know, that's near and dear to my heart. Um, now, there's a there's certain brands out there. Uh, we won't make mention of of brand names right now, but um, they will tell you and have you believing that their insole should be in every shoe you own. <laughs> um, now, as our philosophy, uh, you know, with shoe fitting uh, from our shop is not everybody needs an insole. Um, and what is, uh, you know, what is research showing right now? What do you see? Um, yeah, is it, is it needed? Is it necessary? Um, does it have a place? And if so, wh you know, what is that place? Yeah, yeah. And actually, there's, there's been really good research in this realm. And I, I used to have to address it a lot because obviously if I was teaching, you know, 50 people on biomechanics from all different places and they want to go back and treat their clients, that was a really pressing issue. So I did a lot of lit review um, about that subject. 
Um, and I, I will say this, there is always continual research coming out like that's generated. So every, I would say every two to five years, you're going to find um, a really good body of work that, that may be evolving, you know, from this. So everything I say today may be different than what I said five years ago. It might be different from five years from today, but it's all really exciting. It's, and we have some great people doing a lot of this, this research and it's, it's wonderful. Um, like maximalist shoes. There's, there's now, um, I think you're going to see a lot more research about the maximalist shoes is what they call, you know, shoes with, with more, you know, souls. Um, for the, the shoes. Yeah. So um, the general, um, the general thing about inserts. So you can have molded orthotics, right? So we mold, we take someone's, you know, custom foot mold and we you know, make a custom footbed for them. Um, so that's what we call molded, molded orthotics. And I'm not talking about pathological populations. So that's, you know, that's where someone's actually having um, a foot injury or a foot deformity. So that's kind of a different category. So we'll, we'll kind of put that in, you know, away. We're talking about, you know, a healthy population. Yeah, we'll talk about a healthy population. So, you know, they look at molded orthotics and over-the-counter orthotics and, and different amounts of, of posting and things like that. And in general, the, the, the better research papers are finding there, there's really not a lot of difference between the custom molded and the over-the-counter. Okay, And they're, what they're looking at is, is loading rates. So how, how fast are the tissues being loaded and how do people respond kinematically to some of these things? Um, and they found kinematically, which is really interesting. So that's the actual degrees of movement of the of the heel um, is that it really isn't that different, especially. And I'm talking about runners. OK, specifically running populations, um, one to three degrees difference at times with some of that. Um, so kinematically, they're not finding a lot of difference. And energetically, there is a little bit of a difference with and without insoles in general. Um, so they do find that insoles do decrease what we call the loading rate of soft tissues. Um, and what that means is from the time that you first make contact with the ground to the time that your entire body mass has landed on that leg. So you fully descended upon that leg during your stance time that the rate um, if, if it's a little bit slower, that's a little bit less injurious, you know, because you're loading your tissues more gradually. OK, so a lower loading rate is is deemed healthier or less injurious that insoles do tend to decrease loading rates initially. OK, so they, they, they would there's no research that backs up. You should have an insole to prevent injury. They still haven't gone to that point, you know, that they're preventative. But there is research when you look at patellofemoral pain um, and some lower leg injuries that temporarily you can use that as a buffer because it does tend insoles do tend to decrease those loading rates of soft tissue. So you can use that Achilles tendinopathy and things like that. You can use that to decrease the loading rate while you're working on other things like gait retraining, light strengthening. Um, and, and this is how when we look at all the research. How do we communicate this to our clients? Uh, and a lot of this is also work with from like Irene Davis and Daniel Lieberman. But we can use them as as temporary aids when we're trying to get people out of a painful episode. OK, so if we're trying to someone has a flared up knee. OK. Um, I'm gonna work on their gait mechanics if that's something that needs to be worked on. Now, strength, we know it takes a couple weeks for strength, right? You know, for true hypertrophy, you know, 10 to 12 weeks for true muscle hypertrophy. So we know that doesn't kick in immediately, okay? We know strength gains will help, but we know it doesn't kick in immediately. We do know gait retraining helps 
it's a little bit quicker, but it takes about eight training sessions for them to ingrain that movement pattern. So we can use insoles if we do believe bloating rate is something that we want to affect to decrease that those symptoms initially, we can use that. And I tell clients, you know, if this is successful, you know, they're comfortable, they feel good and they're successful. This is something where we can keep. Um, I, I would strongly agree to keeping in the short term until you're out of the woods with this injury. And then you can work on either weaning out of that, you know, to no one sort of all or you can keep them. That's fine. You know, so we kind of leave it in that in that realm, but we're still giving them strengthening for those issues, you know, so they're they're not developing, you know, weakness or bad habits or things like that. Okay. Um, a lot of people that, that come into our shop, they um, they come in asking for an insole because they want more arch support. Um, so it's kind of a twofold question here. Um, do they provide arch support? Well, I guess three. Is that arch support necessary uh, if you already have a, a shoe, which is in itself an orthotic device? Um, and I guess uh, three, does it inhibit the arch or weaken the arch in any way if you are um, adding the structure below your foot. Yeah. So, um, pronation, and this was, I mean, just from decades ago, pronation has always been kind of dimified because like, you know, you shouldn't have fallen arches and flat feet. And, and there was, I think there was a lot of that art that's always in people's minds because of that ideology that's, that's been from way back. So ideally we don't need shoes at all, you know, so, but we do, you know, keep our feet, you know, protected from surfaces and things like that. But there's definitely cultures that don't wear shoes at all. Um, there's four layers of muscles on the bottom of the feet, um, and I think we're we're slowly moving into a place with shoe wear uh, where we can actually start to strengthen our feet a little bit by diversifying the the shoe wear that we have on a daily basis. And we can talk about that a little bit, but. Yeah, it can because we we don't have to use those aspects of our of our pronation and supination um, to to go through our gait cycle. You know, so it does buffer that a little bit. And and, and really, the biggest thing that they find is it they call it um, almost like a, a pseudo neuropathy where we we can't really feel our feet. So I I mean that's honestly why I think our, we have a lot of overstriding. It's because you can't feel your feet. I do it the same. You put a big cushy shoe on me. I cannot because I do demonstrate heel aggressive heel striking or overstriding with clients. I can't feel a thing. But when I try to do things and show them things without my shoes on, there's no way I'm going to do that because it, it hurts. I mean it's horribly painful. Um, <laughs> and I'm not a forefoot striker, but I have to when I have my shoes off. So we work very differently. Um, there's really good research that doing um, a couple passes just to warm up like in grass, either barefoot or in soft feet was enough to increase intrinsic muscles um, of the foot. So you can do some really good things outside of your shoe wear. Um, so you can keep developing your, your foot musculature. Um, I wouldn't say someone because they have orthotics are going to greatly um, decrease the, the strength of their feet overall or it's going to be detrimental. I just think we should always have, especially in a, in a healthy person or a healthy, healthy population, have that on our forefront of our minds. How can we how we can work? Um, I was going to bring this up a little bit later on. How can we work to strengthen those muscles of our feet with our everyday life? Um, and there's some, some things that we can do with that. So I think really encouraging people to vary their, their footwear a lot um, through the week is helpful. And maybe have one day where they have a minimalist shoe that, again, this is not symptomatic patients. Um, they don't have deformities. You know, we're not talking about that. But where they have a minimalist shoe where they really feel like they you know, can use their foot a little bit during that day. Um, so just varying, I think, the footwear is important in healthy populations. 
two questions that spurred off that. Um, the first, uh, you've mentioned Jay DeSherry a few times uh, thus far, and you turned me on to Jay, uh, and I, I can't thank you enough for <laughs> for that. He's been a great wealth of, of knowledge and resource and um, has taught me a lot. Uh, he just recently wrote an article for Ultra Running Magazine in the importance of foot strength, um, and um, I'll try to link that in the show notes if I can, because it's a fantastical fantastic article on just, you know, the importance of, of foot strength. Um, are there certain things that you would recommend that people do, um, you know, not necessarily on a daily basis, but something they, you know, include in their weekly routine, something, you know, quick and easy that they can do maybe just while they're brushing their teeth that would, you know, focus a little bit on, uh, on foot strengthening. Yeah. Um, I think a really easy one. And a lot of people don't have their shoes on when they're brushing their teeth. You would just wake up in the morning go and brush your teeth. Um, I think a really good one and very simple is brushing your teeth balancing on one foot. Um, where we're supposed to brush our teeth for two minutes. Is that the kind of the, the journal you know, recommendation? Um, so I tell people, you know, if you can balance on one leg um, while you brush your teeth, you know, split it up between the legs or while you're, you know, cooking or whipping eggs or whatever, practice just balancing. That's a, it's a really easy thing to do. Um, you know, because I think the more simple you make it, the, the better. Um, I really like a lot of the acupressure mats, um, finding one that's comfortable for you and throwing it into your, your shower. Um, so you can actually start to let the foot kind of splay a little bit um, and have some soft tissue release. Our, our feet get very tight. Um, the the, the needly mats? The yeah. The, yeah. And there's lots of different types. There's some, I have one in the office that's more bulby. So it's very tolerable to people. I mean, you can definitely get some that are more spiky and they're just you know, you just have to go to that different Zen place to stand on it. But there's definitely some that are more like just nubby and relaxed. So they almost look like um, ripper pebbles that, you know, you don't. So just find something that's comfortable for you. But I think massaging your feet um, is I think people can relax a little bit more in the shower and do stuff like that. But um, or have it by your sink. But I, I'm going to continue just to refer to that running rewired book by Jay Sherry because um, one, especially for listeners, like it's just great if you just have one resource or, or one thing to kind of go to that, you know, is it's going to be a staple. He has great, some great foot mobility um, and foot strengthening exercises in there. And he has um, a product. You have it. I think the Mobo, Mobo board. I do. Yeah. 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 So I would, I would say um, no matter what, I mean, the book is amazing. It's got really great strengthening techniques. You can get do as little or, or as much as you want. Um, you can do all the stuff at home um, with some simple equipment. Um, but um, yeah, balancing on one, one leg while you brush your teeth and doing, um, if you can, I mean, I think this is great, doing single leg heel raises and controlling the lowering up and down a couple times through your day is super important. You know, eccentrically loading that tendon, um, especially for runners, um, I think are, is a really important thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, the article also talks about the mobile board. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a picture board in the article um and i've been using it keegan's been using it to re-strengthen his foot um you know he's just gone through plantar fasciitis and severs so um he did his first run yesterday thankfully um he's uh, no pain so um super stoked to have him back running um but yes uh the mobile word i love that um and i also recommend the you know while brushing your teeth kind of stand on one leg i think that's a great Great exercise, and we, as, as I said, kind of talking about the the calf raises, you know, doing those. I think that's super important. Um, the other part of that question I wanted to talk about was um, in footwear. Um, you know, 
not necessarily the the maximalist. Um, I think we can have a whole another conversation sometime about footwear. Um, but a lot of times we get stuck with a brand. Um, we get brand loyal, and we you know we we run in specifically that brand. That brand um, may only have let's say one ramp style where like for instance ultra you're going to be zero drop no matter what uh, that's what they believe and that's you know that's what they stick to um we you kind of talked about how with footwear you can um have different levels of cushioning should we also have different levels of ramp as well to kind of work different muscles and kind of stretch out the achilles um, and let it rest at the same time uh, on other days yeah, so there is a really, I think um, I put out a little YouTube when all this, when the quarantine started, because like everybody like, well, let's just run a lot more. And so I was like, okay, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of really great things that we should keep in mind um, since we have all this time to, to run now. Um, the weather was beautiful. Um, but one of them is it's a really exciting study because, you know, one, one thing is really true. And I think I, I, I did a recently review. Uh, is a statement is all in all the years of all this technology and shoes when they do these systematic reviews and look at the percentage of running injuries they really haven't gone down you know what i'm saying so it's it's um it's really interesting so running related injuries really haven't changed percentage wise over time you know as shoeer has developed but there was a really exciting study that that um showed that people mix up their shoes so if they have, you know, three styles of running shoes, and it wasn't anything particular, but three styles of running shoes that they um, didn't, they, they call them parallel rotation, so they would they would equally exchange them out. It was almost a 39% reduction in injury. And that is huge when you're looking at, you don't see a lot of these changes in general. Um, and so, you know, you you know, ramp differential. I mean, it's really hard nowadays, I think, to really find the traditional, you know, 12 millimeter ramp shoe, you know, so some have eight, some have four, you know, and that's, it's, it's finding what's most comfortable for you. But, um, and going back to the barefoot running and we were, we were talking about, you know, there used to be like, how do you start integrating, you know, minimalist shoe wear and things like this. Um, I think if you're going to start looking at rotating your shoes, um, and I, I don't think it matters with the cushioning or like you have to go out of your way to get a ramp shoe if you run comfortably in, in ultras. Um, I think just having a, a different brand is, is fine um, because they, they will function a little bit differently. But if you do want to work also on your foot musculature a little bit, they say you take 10 percent of your weekly mileage and you can do a shoe. So if you run, let's say you run in a. Um, I'll make this this comparison. So if you run in a shoe that has, you know, 10 millimeters of, of sole underneath it um, for 10 percent of your, your running weekly mileage, maybe taking a shoe that has four millimeters of sole and doing that little bit of mileage. So maybe a little recovery run or something like in that shoe. If you, again, if you don't already have symptoms or an injury to the foot, like foot pain, it's a really great way that's been advocated in, in, in research to start building your foot musculature and, and running in what is, is neutral, I mean, a minimalist for you um, and a little bit of your mileage. So if you're going to do that parallel rotation, I think that's a really nice thing to add if you have a healthy system. Um, so like I have these old Merrells that have this, you know, the little Vibram, the, um, oh gosh, what are these things called? They're really, they're really minimalist. Um, but I won't, I won't do more than two or three miles in them. Um, but I don't have any foot pain either, but I like to do that just to work my feet a little bit. Um, and I also do it with my work shoes. Mm -hmm. you're, you're talking, um, 
four millimeters total of, of cushioning in the shoe, right? Not the, we're not talking the ramp, we're just talking the mm-hmm. actual. No, 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 just in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you did yeah, want, if you were, if you worried about developing your, your foot muscles with, with different running shoe wear, if, if, if you run in something that has a lot more cushioning, 10 millimeters would maybe be your minimal shoe, you know? So something that feels light to you, um, but we're just doing 10% of your mileage and very little. Um, but yeah, just rotating your shoes in parallel. But I wouldn't go out of your way to, 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 get a, a much higher ramp than what you're used to just to vary the shoe. Yeah. Right on. Um, so you have mentioned your, uh, your YouTubes, which, you know, I love your videos. Do you want to just, uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but what's your YouTube channel? What's it? Oh, what's the it? runner's mechanic. Mm-hmm. The runner's mechanic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll leave that in the show notes. Um, <laughs> But uh, my next question comes from uh, from YouTube and, and Facebook. There's you know so many self correct drills that are that are on the web right now. Um, can uh, can these resources suffice for for people, um, or do you think uh, they could do more harm than good if people like solely rely on them without seeking professional guidance? Yeah, I mean, there's just yeah, there's just so much out there. Um, so I probably couldn't speak to what YouTubes are out there that would be injurious just because I, I, there's just so much out there and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm really bad about just surfing around and, and kind of seeing what all is out there and give you some really reputable ones. Um, so Chris Johnson, um, he is, he's an amazing um, uh, therapist and coach. Um, he has a YouTube, everything on his YouTube is um, gold. I mean, just absolutely great. Um, definitely can can trust a lot of people like um, Kelly Starrett. I don't you know, he does a, the supple leopard and all that kind of stuff. And I, it's really good stuff. Um, I don't I don't watch a whole lot of stuff, but a lot of people do like it. Um, uh, but but um, but Chris's Chris's uh, drills are really good. Um, so, I mean, I think you can, can do those really safely. And a lot of people, I think, would even think like, oh, gosh, they're easy. But you try doing those and they're they're hard. They're hard. I mean, it's you know, it really gives you a appreciation for the those movements that you need to be good at. So right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of of self correction, um, like if we're looking to do the self correction of our form and stuff, yeah, um, it it probably behoove us more to to do that with somebody that can look at you from the outside perspective rather than you know yourself trying to even video yourself and trying to self correct. You know, that's that's kind of what I was going at. Is- oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Using using online stuff. I, the only reason I'm in, the only two things I feel pretty sound with as general advice is um, decreasing aspects of overstriding and looking at cadence. And there's very specific ways to do that. So I still wouldn't just go off and do that without talking to somebody that knows you know what they're doing because um, there, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and I think there's so many philosophies that, that push certain very rigid aspects that don't apply to everybody. Um, I, I wouldn't go on YouTube and, and change form just because of the YouTube necessarily of what it's, it's saying and thinking it's right for you. Um, it might not be, it might not be wrong. Um, but if you start having, pay, if someone's having payment doesn't feel right, or they start running the problems, um, I definitely would consult somebody that, that deals more with the biomechanics of runners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some some good things that we can take from YouTube um, 
you know, uh, things that we can incorporate into our daily routine uh, that might benefit us um, in, you know, flexibility, strength, um, your mobility. Uh, you know, there are certain things that you would incorporate it just in general. It doesn't necessarily have to be a specific video, but like, you know, Francis is like an active warm up, that kind of thing. Um, would you incorporate that kind of stuff into your daily routine? Is that something you suggest for runners? So incorporating a warm up before they before they run is that where you're yeah, yeah just just general things you know that that was just an example um, but like you know stuff along that line or is that something you would suggest or anything else yeah um, you know I think I think a warm up is a really good idea I mean you'll see a lot of different takes on you know shouldn't warm up at all and you know or you know you shouldn't do this at all but yes warming up is, is really important before you perform um how much of a warm-up you know you don't want to overdo it depending on again what your performance is and there's a couple of different reasons for that but yeah doing a good warm-up doing some drills um so running the reason that it's it's interesting because there's that you have all these different ideas about what you should do because running is so different than what we do at any other points during our day because it's an elastic activity Okay, the way that we get energy to run is we load our tendons and the tendons recoil to actually move us forward. Okay, it's a bounding activity. So the, the energetics of it's completely reversed from walking or hiking or doing yard work. It's, it's an elastic activity. And so you have to prep that elastic system before you run. And that's really why um, I think the, the biggest things that runners can do. So a little bit of warm up before you run and, and some drills to, I think the, just the ABC skips or just something really, really easy is a great way to kind of prep that system. Um, doing a nice cool down um, lifting once a week, at least if you don't lift at all, doing a basic lifting program, um, squats, deadlift, push press. You know, if you're going to start with something super simple because that is going to help, work on the tendon system okay and prep that tendon system muscles help buffer some of the injuries for for tendons um and I, i've always been really fascinated with tendinopathies i'm taking actually another online course right now on tendinopathies and it's because it's been i think one of those kind of mystical areas for science in general and i think they're really dialing into what can we do for some of these tendon issues but you know once you are mid to late 30s that's when you really have to start putting some extra work into your tendon system because the tendons start to change a little bit in their ability to recover. So we don't see a whole lot of real tendinopathies um, in younger people. Those are usually more bone stress injuries. Um, but tendinopathies become a, they kind of blow up as we start to get into our 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, and so I would say, especially for healthy populations, um, always working on those tendon systems is, is really important. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, it's kind of the one of the other great debates has always been the dynamic versus static, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for, for warming up. Um, and would you just kind of touch on, you know, what the A, what the difference is and, and B, uh, which you prefer? And if there's a preferred time for either or the other, you know, is there a place for, for both or, you know, are we kind of outdated in, in one thought or, you know, how, whatever you you're currently thinking. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I think always making it really simple. Um, so static stretching is not recommended before performance. Um, there's a couple of different reasons for that, but it tends when they do the research, people statically stretch and then they have to perform, perform. They don't perform as well as people that do dynamic uh, warmups. Okay. And that makes sense because they're, we're not tapping into the elastic recoil neuromuscularly as much. Um, before we before we run which we actually have to do when we run so 
Um, static stretching before you run is, is not recommended. Um, doing a light jog, okay, because again, that's kind of warming up the tendons with that elastic recoil. Um, doing some skips and just a few dynamic movements. So um, like on my website, I put, um, I think I have three dynamic warmups. And all it is is controlling the tendons that go through a dynamic movement, um, just to kind of get moving through that range, prepping your system. Um, but it's just a little bit, okay, um, before that performance. So that's what I would recommend before you run. After you run, I think cooling down is a really good idea. I like, you'll, you'll hear a lot of things about static stretching. And I, I think um, I think a lot of people are quick to kind of throw something completely away. I think having some some mobility to your system is a, is a, is a good thing. So if you want to statically stretch um, after your performance, I think that's great. Um, hip flexors are chronically tight in our, in our country. Um, Hamstrings can get obviously overworked and a little bit tight, but just some gentle stretching. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't want to have an intense feeling or, or really, you know, go after it too much, but just doing some, some gentle, you know, long, you know, 60 to 120 seconds of stretching um, for those muscles is, is great. So, cool. Great. Uh, is there a point where uh, we, we work flexibility too much, um, especially as, as distance runners? Cause You've always kind of told me that we we need to be a little bit tight because that's kind of how our, our our muscles work. Is you know we need that that tension in the muscle uh, to you know to be able to to keep running long. Whereas if we have too flexible muscle, it's you know not as as optimal for a you know a distance runner. Yeah, the spring system exactly. Um, you know, and everyone has a little bit of a, a different collagen makeup. Um, so once in a while, I do get people that they're they're just naturally very flexible. Their collagen is very flexible. They're very flexible. And we work to really actually tighten their spring system. People that have a really tight, um, genetically tight collagen system and they're already naturally good springs, they're, they're usually really good athletes um, because they do have that kind of tightened spring system. So I do think a little bit of, um, you know, just gentle stretching or yoga, that's great to integrate into things. Believe it or not, the, the one thing that actually can make us more mobile and it seems counterintuitive is lifting. Um, it sounds, it sounds a little bit crazy, but you know, I, um, I started doing some of these zoom meetings during the quarantine. I, I had Kelly on just to give some people some, some basic, um, she made a Google doc with some lifting, um, techniques, but going through those lifting motions, you know, so bringing the joints through that range under a little bit of load actually helps with mobility and actually eccentric strengthening actually, uh, has really good validity in the research for increasing muscle mobility. Um, so I think when you start tapping into the neuromuscular system, you actually can get really good functional mobility, um, of those systems. So functionally, I think that matters the most. Okay. So I would say before you run dynamic things, skips, dynamic warmups, um, and then having lifting, you know, ideally for, for runners that are running like two times a week would be great. Um, not long, 30, 40 minutes, you know, it doesn't have to be a big session, but it really helps. What's a, what's a, like some examples of uh, eccentric lifting movement? Yeah, so um, eccentric means slowing down a motion, okay? So, and it's actually really important for our tendons. So the major tendons in, for runners that are the Achilles, the hamstring, and the patella tendons, okay? So for the Achilles, you know, just getting a little bit of a weighted backpack, you know, that's the easiest thing to do. Getting on a step, going up on both toes, pulling one leg up so you're just on one leg and slowly descending for a count of three, that heel down. 
Um, that's an eccentric motion that's slowly lengthening the tendon under load. So that's really what you're doing. You're lengthening a tendon under load. So for the Achilles, that's um, slow um, heel drops off a step. I think people are pretty familiar with that. Um, for the hamstring, that's usually like an RDL, like a Russian deadlift. You can do bilateral legs. You can, so you can do both legs. You can do single legs. These are in running rewired, which I also will go back to because they, set, they have great graphics in there. And I love, because I know if people look at that, they're going to do it correctly. Um, that's a really good one. And then you can also look at um, uh, single leg squats. So really working on when you, uh, like sometimes I'll have a chair behind somebody and they just work on slowly going down into a squat to sit on the chair. Um, either with both legs under weight or one leg with no weight. Um, so those are those are some really easy ways to to do that with good form. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, you know we've we've talked a lot about injury, but uh, at, we talked about it a little bit before. A lot of us um, we try to run through an injury because uh, we have an event coming up that we don't want to miss. Um, but at what point are we are we risking too much or we're risking further injury? Um, you know, is there some red flags that, you know, we should throw up and say, you know, if we're experiencing this or this is happening, we should, you know, stop running, uh, maybe look for an avenue of cross training um, or just, you know, hold off for a while on, on, on movement, on exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question because I mean, I think we all have those runs where we go out and then, out of the blue, like something happens, like all of a sudden you never had an IT band problem and, and you're, you start having this pain down the side of your leg and you're like, oh gosh, you know, is it just a cramp and you try to shake it out and, you know, then it never happens again and all your runs are fine. So I think once in a while you do have these little hiccups and or cramps and things like that, um, or you have a really hard run and you just, you know, feel you overdid it and you just feel kind of, kind of bad for a day or two. But um, when, when you have something come up and so we kind of use a you know, pain rating scale, zero being no pain and, and 10 is obviously being severe pain. Um, you come up and you have a, an area of the body that starts to have maybe a five, a greater than five out of 10 pain. And you start to experience this either. It, it makes you stop running and you haven't been able to complete a run or you notice this on multiple runs. That's when you really, I would say, want to get it treated. Um, and I think a lot of people are afraid that they're going to be taken out of running if they, if they stop and address their symptoms. There's a really interesting, um, article, um, I, I taught in Virginia and, and one of the, the, the um, courses I did was on the mentality of runners. I always thought it was a really interesting thing because again, the first thing I do with somebody is do a really long initial, um, interview. I just want to hear all about everything. And. Um, there were some really great studies on the mentality of runners and they, and they um, this was a Scandinavian uh, study and they, they took um, a group of really, um, really great runners, really good runners. And of course this is all being, uh, you know, translated, but they, they said, what do you do when you, when you have to stop running? And they kind of made it into two categories and one was illness and one was injury. Okay. And all the runners reported when they started to have an illness, you know, run a fever, felt horrible. They take they they um, take their training down. They take care of themselves, get a little bit of rest, get over their, their cold a little bit and get back to it. OK, and said, great. So what do you do when you have an injury like a pain, a physical pain? 
and it differed. If it was something they were familiar with, if it was like, um, say they had sprained their ankle before a couple times, they sprained their ankle again, they recognized it and they would take care of it. They would address it. They'd, they'd bring their training down just a little bit, address it, get it treated, and then get back up into their training. But they found a lot, if they did not recognize the pain, so if it was something completely new and it started to bother them, a lot of them kind of put it into this category where they ignored it. They didn't want to address it. Um, and there was one, there was one woman and they translated, she goes, I felt cowardly if I stopped to acknowledge this pain. Um, so it, it was almost a fear mechanism that kind of tripped with most of these people. Um, but they found eventually everyone that had that kind of fear behavior um, had to stop running altogether because the injury took them out. Um, and then they, they, they had to you know, take much longer off to get back. So it's interesting. And it was just, a, it was just a mentality thing that actually interrupted people's training the most to have that kind of that fear belief system. Um, so if anything, know that if you acknowledge something that's going on and you, and you get it addressed, it, it really is probably going to save you less time off your feet because in, in, especially with people that deal with runners, we have a lot of good research now. Um, I rarely, and anyone that's come to see me, I don't tell people to stop running because the research doesn't support it unless I suspect a stress fracture. That's the one thing that I really, I get people, especially if we call, we call it a critical zone. Um, those are the, those are the, the few exceptions where I, I've, I've got to get, get people off their feet and get them with the proper imaging. But for a lot of the soft tissue things, it's not, it's actually not encouraged. We change it a little bit and we modify things so that they can continue their, um, their fitness and they can continue to run on, on some kind of level. But we do continue that until they can get back to their normal training and they're not having that pain. So yeah, so if you start having something where it's, it's, it's stopping your runs, or you're acknowledging, yeah, on a scale from zero to ten, you're like, oh, what is it? like I'm dealing with like a seven on a, you know, and spend a little bit more than a week, you know, I'm gonna stop. Um, just know if you go to see somebody that deals with runners, they're probably not gonna take you out of the game. They're probably gonna rehab you, you know, help you with some loading, help you with some strategies. There's really nice, there's really nice running protocols, and we give you some nice um, boundaries for your running so you can continue but not hurt yourself. Um, so that's that's what we do. Does that make sense? Does that help? Yeah. Oh yeah. Great. Thank you. Yeah. If you do have uh, a fracture, if you do have a stress reaction or a stress fracture or a critical error, you want that identified. Um, that is something that really can take people out for a long time if they run through it. Um, and it can be, it can be a problem. It can lead to surgery. So, you know, definitely get those looked at. Thank you. Um, if you were to create a, uh, a toolkit for runners um, of devices to keep us strong, healthy, and mobile, what would it be? Yeah, um, I thought that was a great question. Uh, I think a foam roller, and, and I think also, you know, we're gonna talk about you know, some of the proven things for recovery, but a foam roller is great. And the good thing is everyone loves a foam roller. So your foam roller, uh, I think also having a mobility ball that you like, there's so many different things out there, but when you find something that you like, um, I, I really like, and there's a little bit of research behind some of the percussion uh, rollers and guns. And I think that's real trendy right now is to have like the, the, the muscle percussion guns, like the hypervolt or the, um, the, the, yeah, the Theragun or the, the foam rollers. Are they, but they're, they're great. Um, they really are. So if that's something uh, you usually can try them in a store at your friends or something like that, but they're, they're great things to have. 
Um, but yeah, if you're just going to go, you know, base, you know, bargain basement time, the foam roller is a great thing to have. You can do a lot with it um, and a little bit of like a lacrosse ball or mobility ball. Um, and I think something heavy. Um, so whether it's a medicine ball or a sandbag or if you go down the road um, and buy a, a bar and some weights, I think having something heavy so you can do some of the some of these loading um, activities you know, for your tendons, whether it's doing your strength training one day or doing some of the eccentrics for the tendons, um, having something heavy that you can use um, is is important um, for loading. Yeah. Cool. Um, anything f um, so far as uh, uh, you would say you could uh, use in place of buying something, you know, some some home remedies that we might be able to find around the house. Come up for, for weights. Yeah. Weights. Um, you know, um, uh, it's hard to find a massage tool that, you know, aside from like using like a lacrosse ball, like you said, or something, but yeah, more yeah. on like the weight side of things. Um, yeah. Like trigger point stuff. Um, yeah. Well, uh, you know, um, if we were to do uh, a weight session, but you know, we couldn't, couldn't get our hands on some kind of, weighted devices um, mm -hmm. or some things around the house that we could be creative with. Oh yeah, definitely. So um, actually there was a really nice Instagram by uh, Will Fleming, but just getting um, a backpack, um, a rucksack, a backpack, whatever. And, and you can, you can weight it easily, whether it's, you know, you weigh out some books, you weigh out some sandbags, you make a sandbag. Um, but yeah, you can making that your medicine ball is, is super easy. Um, and you can do that. You know, I really love if there's if there really was any one lifting program that I love the most, it's the med ball program. So the, the med ball throws, um, the push press med ball throw is one of my favorites. Um, I made two little workouts on my YouTube. One is uh, a, an uphill strength training workout. One's a downhill strength training workout that has a lot of eccentrics. Um, but the uphill at the very at the, at the end of that, I put like three or four exercises is the push press med ball. Um, and in Jay Desherry's book, he has a whole med ball throwing program in there. I love it. It's super fun. It works the tendons. It loads the core. Um, but yeah, I think loading, you know, either a rucksack or a backpack with, with some sandbags. I mean, you can get 40 pounds, 50 pounds easy if you want to load it that heavy um, or if you need to, or if you want to use 10, you know, 10, 20 pounds. But I think that's super easy. Um, you can do it at home. You don't need to go out and buy really anything special um, unless you want to you know, get some stuff with the sandbags. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably the easiest thing to do. Cool. Children, um, doing some push-ups with some children sitting on you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Very children. Um, what's some what's some things we could do at home right now? Um, you know, aside if uh, you know, obviously our our forests just were closed. A lot of our our trail running is going to be limited for a while. So, aside from getting out on the road, what's some things we could do at home? Um, you know, to keep us fit, keep us sane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again. Um, I really, I mean, you can do a really nice lifting program with um, a weighted backpack um, using that for your, for your lifting. So you can do something basic, you know, are you talking like for a strength program, you can do a basic. Cardio. I, I was thinking more like along the roads of, uh, of cardio. Uh, oh, like, cardio. You know, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. So is there, you know, some, uh, would you recommend like a jump rope routine or, you know, what, what other things can we do at home? Yeah, so um, this is probably a great time to use the heart rate uh, monitors, which actually I need to buy one. Like, you know, so I, I, the heart rate tracking is really, it's a great idea. But if you do have to do something, 
that you're not familiar with other than running and you, I mean, the idea is to get your heart rate up. You want to make sure that you can, you can track that obviously, because yeah, you could do, a, you could do a circuit of um, burpees and jump rope and um, push-ups and just to get your heart rate up, you know, so do that kind of more circuit training. Um, you can make a little obstacle course if you want to be real um, inventive around your house. So I, I think it was the other day I posted, I have a really um, steep driveway. Okay. And I, I love it um, because I know I can use that driveway and do eccentric super easy. It's not hard because I'm at a 40 degree <laughs> incline. <laughs> yeah, and so I don't need a lot of weight, but I literally can do, um, and you don't need that many reps for eccentrics. That's kind of the nice thing too. But so I can use my driveway to, to, to you to, as an extra load. Um, so people can, but if you want to use it for cardio, you can, again, you know, just practice running up those, those little shorts, um, those short hills or, you know, anything in your backyard, a lot of us do have those sharp inclines, but yeah, I would say anything to just keep your heart rate up in that, in that zone. So you can get the cardio that you want. Um, but you might have to be a little bit inventive if you want to do it for, you know, a good amount of time, um, and not be on, you know, some people have some home treadmills and things like that, but but yeah, Ben makes it fun and the weather's been so nice. I mean, that's one of the, I think one of the real blessings we've had is just this incredible weather, um, which, you know, it's been keeping me sane. I hope, it's, I hope it has other people. It's really been a perk. So, um, but I think making an obstacle course is super fun if, you know, especially if you have um, other people like in your household, you know, kids and things like that. Um, and just, it makes the time go by. Absolutely. Um, so are there any, Anything that you've found um, that you'd like to share with all of us that you see um, we typically do as, as runners that we probably shouldn't be doing any you know behaviors that you'd like to smack our hands for doing? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, the biggest thing, you know, and I, I also am like a member of a lot of these um, professional um, pages where people that are way more advanced in coaching and, and things like that than I am. And just to make sure my thought process is right, but, um, just making sure that you're recovering. Um, I think that's a big thing, um, recovering from your, your heavy runs or your, or your lifting sessions and, and things like that. So making, you know, proper recovery, proper, trying to make a sleep a priority, you know, taking really good care of yourself, um, in that manner. Um, I think those things are, are really important. So just being being nice to yourself, I think, is as an athlete, because I think we tend to like to beat ourselves up a bit. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of anything really detrimental, you know, that people do. But I think I think the biggest thing is just to be kind to yourself and and really, you know, the your day that you're supposed to recover recover. And I, that's why I really believe in utilizing really good coaches, you know, like yourself, you know, you, just to keep people on a good track and. Um, with that because it's hard to do. I think recovery is probably one of the hardest things to do sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so along those lines, um, are there any specific recovery aids or therapies new to the market that are showing promise um, or any to the contrary? So are you seeing anything, um, you know, sleep aids can be, um, can just be um, you know, nutritional, uh, could be, um, you know, any of the, you know, we kind of talked about the Theraguns, you feel good about those and the, uh, the, the vibrating foam rollers and all that stuff, but anything you see out there right now that, you know, it's probably, uh, just wasting people's money or, you know, anything that you, you're like, wow, you know, this is a, a great product. 
Yeah, um, you know, so I, I did, uh, I've, I've heard some things, and I did a, um, a lit review, and in 2015, they did a systematic review. This is the American College of Sports Medicine. Uh, and the nice thing is the things that we've always really liked seem to hold some water. Um, so compression garments, um, they had a pretty good level of evidence um, for helping delay um, DOMS, um, delayed onset muscle soreness, muscular strength, power, um, all those kinds of things. So compression garments tend to still hold water. Um, massage delays DOMS, um, foam rolling massage. Uh, improves DOMS and, and jump performance. Uh, so we still, you know, I can still stand behind that really well. It feels really good. So, you know, luckily those are, those are good. Um, you know, and again, I, I, this isn't really an option right now, but um, the, um, uh, the cryotherapies, like the full, the full body cryotherapy, maybe, and if they found maybe an effective method of improving recovery from strenuous exercise, it was kind of held a, a maybe there. Um, cold water immersion, uh, slightly beneficial for reducing DOMS and recovery of sprint speed. Um, but, you know, and those are all, I mean, I, I, those are all really good things to do and, and they're, and they're not expensive. And, um, I think I, I can stand behind those things. Is there anything that you see that you, that you're wondering about in particular? Oh, uh, no, I mean, yeah, we uh, we kind of talked about some of the nutritional things in in the last podcast, uh, uh-huh. recovery and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I didn't get to. I listened to. Have, tell me what they said on that because I do have some stuff on nutrition here. Yeah, so uh, we talked about uh, you know having uh, protein before bedtime. Mm-hmm. Um, like so, Jake talked about how much protein you know we should be uh, eating or or even drinking uh, even before bed. Um, yeah, like we talked a little bit about magnesium because um, that was uh, one of the things I had heard was potentially something good before bed. And um, you know, he had kind of said that uh, he could see where um, it might be beneficial. He wasn't sure if it would uh, you know, really have effects on your sleep or the, the quality of your sleep because it is a relaxer. So it's supposed to help you relax. So he could see where it would be potentially good to make you fall asleep. But beyond that, he wasn't sure. Um, you know, and we didn't really get into the CBD um, talk too much. Um, have you been recommending CBD um, for for other aspects as well, like as a topical or anything like that? Do you see any any benefits in the CBD market right now? Yeah, you know, I don't do any nutritional recommendations, and CBD is so. I mean, it, I talked to some of the physicians I see about it. There's just not a lot of you know good evidence research up there about what it does and, and it doesn't seem to actually be as regulated also i don't know if one cbd product we don't really know what that is like compared to another cbd product so um i think the general consensus when i talk to to um my physicians is if it seems to help somebody um great if it doesn't do anything you know it doesn't do anything um <laughs> right so and I, I think anecdotally, my clients that use it, um, it's, it's still across the board. You know, some feel it really helps them sleep. Some feel it doesn't do anything or, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, but here, when I was looking at the systematic review, there is um, a little bit about nutritional. So if there's more than a 24 hour, um, 24 hours between bouts of exercise, foods with higher glycemic index are beneficial. That was a level um, one um, evidence study. So, that was something that they that they found, um, and and then the, yeah, earlier uh, calorie replacement is also beneficial. Um, so that was the 
that was those were two with nutrition that's in the that they found um, having good evidence Great. so thanks uh, so we've mentioned uh, running rewired by Jada Sherry yeah. a number of times. That's uh, <laughs> probably one of, uh, of yours and mine. Uh, top books to, to recommend to people, uh, and and rightly so. It is a, a you know it is a great book and a great resource. Um, is there anything else that you might suggest uh, runners um, buy or have in their library that they can refer to? Gosh. Um... So let me think about that. Um, I mean, there, there is a lot out there. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, podcasts, I think. As far as books, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure if there's a book that, um, and that's part, that's part of me. I mean, I, there probably are some great books out there, but, um, but clinically, um, that's the one I, I, really, I really think gives some very simple, um, good tools for people. But, um, but yeah, I, I can't really think of anything right now as far as that's books. Fine. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's such a wealth of resource, you know, running rewired. So, um, yeah, it, it just shows how good that book is. <laughs> um, so, uh, the uh, uh, we had a, a listener question, um, which was uh, uh, about sleeping position. Um, is there any position that's um, uh, you shouldn't sleep in or any position that's that's better than another for sleeping? Yeah. Um, one thing I think to be aware of is after, you know, a workout or a run, and this can happen is if you lie on your side, and especially for the females, you know, we tend to have our, our hips tend to be a little bit wider than our, our male counterparts. And as our knees rest together, it does place the IT band in a little bit of stress. Um, and so if someone is dealing with some IT band tightness uh, or something like that, um, putting or trying at least start out with a pillow or two between your knees will help um, decrease the, the height differential between the hip and the, and the knee and sideline positions. Um, so that that is helpful. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot we can do to control our sleep positions as much as people kind of start out in one position. I think mostly they end up in the position that they're most comfortable with or throwing out their pillow or whatever. Um, but that is a nice, especially if that's something you're starting to notice is, is tightness in your IT bands after, after a run. Um, if you can't start out with a pillow between the knees, that is, that is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, Great. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, we're uh, kind of, wind it down here uh is there anything uh if you had one golden nugget to to offer to to runners and, and our listeners um what uh what golden nugget would you offer for them uh yeah so i think i think when you're a runner you always want to think about every aspect of your life how can i better my system for the run Okay, because again, it's such a different event than anything else we do during our, our daily life. And maybe someone's running three times a week or you know, some people are running seven days a week, you know. But um, I think the biggest things to think about that help make that transition when you go into your run is so I call it the, the postural C. So if you're sitting right now listening to this, if you just kind of generally look at your body and notice the C shape, well, being your front is the inside of this C-shape. These are the muscles that tend, generally tend to be tight, you know, so our pecs, 
Uh, our thoracic spine tends to be a little bit stiffer <clears throat> in our culture. Our hip flexors get a little bit tight. So just the end of the day, um, if especially if you do have a foam roller, and I'm going to put out a little YouTube on this because you can do a little routine on a foam roller. It's so easy. You know, it's like five minutes at the end of your day. It feels so good just to lay out, lay out on it. But stretching out your posture, opening up your pecs, um, stretching your thoracic spine. So anything that stretches anything out on that front part of that C, hip flexor mobility, um, you know, however you like to do that, I'll, I'll give you some tools to do that um, in the in the little YouTube clip. But, if you, but stretching your hip flexors, um, mobilizing your thoracic spine, stretching your pecs out, just basically opening up the entire front part of your body um, is, I think, something if you, if you don't have an ounce of energy at the end of the day, that's the one thing. Just lie on your frame roller and just open up those muscles a bit. Um, because that's really what we need as soon as we break into a run is we're, we're just um, we have to use that posterior chain. You know, we have to open up our, our hips and our posture and get mobility in our thoracic spine. Um, so that's that's pretty much the one thing I, I, I really like people to think about is how to reverse the effects of your day, um, especially if your day is is has some sitting involved, which we do. I mean, we drive to places and things like that. So, um, you know, I, when people you know, look at, you know, so sometimes I give people a hip flexor stretch for about three minutes because their hip flexors are so tight and three minutes feels like an eternity. But when was the last time you just took a three minute car ride? You know, we, we <laughs> keep our, our hip flexors shortened for minutes and hours on end, you know, so we do have to do a little bit of this counter work um, to prep our system. So just thinking about opening up our posture, rotating our shoes, as we mentioned, that's a, that's the second one and what we can do to keep our, our tendons healthy. Um, and the, the biggest one, which you probably have your clients do, is keep a journal of what you're doing. Um, I think keeping track of your, your training loads is super important, um, especially if someone considered it more of a, a hobby and then is getting into it more seriously. And they're not really taking into account how much loading, ramping up they're doing, um, being aware of that, because that's something you have complete control over. But it's also one of the number one reasons for injuries is just ramping up too quickly or adding load too quickly or change too quickly. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else you want to add? No, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Uh, I really, I really appreciate that. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I'm sure we'll have more to talk about <laughs> as everything seems to change uh, uh, so quickly anymore. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, know. I know. Thank you so much for your time, Miriam. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch up sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You got it.